This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. During this holiday season, I'm taking time to go back to one of our most popular interviews from the history of this show. We look back to a conversation with Wayne Kreitz, a farmer who made national news in the early 1980s when he and other farmers defied a federal judge's orders to remove grain that they had stored in an elevator that went bankrupt. I think you'll be intrigued by his story, and it's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. You've heard me talk about Pivot Bioproven for quite a while now. You may remember that it's the microbial that adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating that mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's weather-resistant and a sustainable way to achieve more predictable and more productive yields than ever before. For the past two years, we've seen a yield boost, which is nice, but the real news is that we can replace some of our synthetic nitrogen with Pivot Bioproven, since it can replace about 40 pounds of synthetic top-dressed nitrogen. That's a real game changer these days with much higher input prices. That's why we've been doing field trials to learn more, and I hope you'll look into it as well. You can see more results and learn more information by going to pivotbio.com. Wayne Kreitz was farming in southeast Missouri in the 1970s. In 1979, he stored 32,331 bushels of his soybeans at the Ristine, Missouri elevator. In early 1980, he learned that elevator went bankrupt. He wasn't too worried. He had warehouse receipts for his grain, and he'd been told by state officials that the soybeans were there and he'd soon be able to get his grain. But a federal judge stepped in and ruled that the grain was part of the assets of the elevator and would be sold to pay off the elevator's debts. Wayne and other local farmers subsequently began to stand guard at the elevator to make sure no one came to remove the grain that they had stored there, grain that was still their property. They went as far as blocking the scales with their tractors and discs. That's where we pick up the story with Wayne Kreitz and fellow farmers at the Ristine Elevator. The judge sent federal marshals in to take control of the elevator. And uh, so they were going to force us to leave and I said, well, we don't want to leave. We told the federal marshals what our problem was and all of that, and they were really sympathetic. And it wasn't long until they were really on our, our side. And they said, well, Wayne, we have got to do our job. And so what I agreed to do is that I would move the tractor over to the side but I didn't want any trucks coming in and out. And they said, well, that'll make it look better. So we did that. And then this went on for months. They held hearings, and I'd go down to Little Rock, and they'd postpone it, and I was hiring lawyers, and everybody else was hiring lawyers. And every time they would hold a hearing, if you wasn't there at that hearing or represented, you basically lost your claim. This had got to be a news story. I mean, it, it was being covered a lot. Bill Anderson had had a radio, has had a, he was a disc jockey there at Sykeston. So I went by and I said, uh, Bill, uh, and we were sitting in his office there at the radio. I said, I've made the decision that I'm going to go into the elevator and, 
and take my grain. He said, well, what do you plan to do? And I said, well, I'm going to get as many people as I can, and uh, a lot of the other farmers got grain stored. You know, we're ready to go in and get it. Well, he said, Wayne, he said, you don't realize this has really become a, a national story. And I said, well, I don't know about that. And he said, well, what can do? And I said, well, we're just going to go down in the morning and start grain. He said, Wayne, he said, let me ask you a question. You're just going to openly go down there and the federal marshals are there and everything and you're just going to go in and start so anyway he said wayne you say you'd like to get this law changed and all of this he said if i was you i would hold a press conference and say this is exactly what i'm fixing to do i said a press conference he said yeah and i said well i don't know anything about setting up a press conference or whatever and uh he said well i can do that for you and so i thought oh well I was trying to think of all, well, I'm going to do it, you know, and I'm not going to sneak in there like a thief after dark. And I said, okay, let, let's do it. And he said, well, when you want to do it? And I said, let's do it in the morning. And he said, it takes a little longer than that to set up a press conference, get it all out. Said, okay. So then he said, when are you going to do it? Well, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have a press conference. When am I going to do it? So I just looked at a calendar there on the wall, and I looked, and this was in January. Well, February the 18th was George Washington's birthday. I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it on George Washington's birthday. Okay, symbolic. I had no idea at that time how important that decision was because if I'd have made the decision to go in two or three days later, you know, I wouldn't have had time to garnish the support that came from all over the country. But I'm telling you, a lot of this was just pure old luck and me making decisions just for the seat of my pants, having no, you know. So I had the press conference. And in that press conference, the FBI was there, the federal marshals was there. I mean, and in that press conference, I basically said, if it has not been determined that this grain is not mine by February the 18th, then I'm going to go to the elevator and remove my grain. And so that's when it really escalated. Right, right. Well, and during that time then, that month's time, you have so much support. What's happening like in Sykeston? Like, I mean, there's farmers coming in from everywhere, aren't there? When that date starts getting closer, I mean, there is people coming from everywhere, you know. And and the first big indication I got was a, a AP story that uh, Stan DeBoer and a group of farmers from Lincoln, Nebraska, was leaving to go to southeast Missouri to help Puxico farmer Wayne Christ take his grain out of there elevator and they got a scoop shovel in one hand and an american flag in the other you know i've seen this thing is getting a lot bigger than me because i got people coming in from all over the country and i got people call me that i mean they are talking rough i mean they're going to bring their guns and they're going and i said well wait a minute i said hey hey i said i don't want anybody hurt and if I appreciate your support, but if you think it's going to take guns and violence, I said, please stay at home. So the day before, we was going to have the rally at Sykes and at Ramadi, and that's where everybody would gather in. Well, that's when I went down to the uh, Highway Patrol headquarters, and I went in and I talked to a Lieutenant Favor that was there, and I said, Lieutenant, I said, you know, I said, I think we need to sit down and talk. He said, Wayne, he said, what in the world is fixing to happen? And I said, well, I plan on taking my grain out of the elevator in the morning. And 
He said, Wayne, do you have any idea how many people are coming? And I said, no, I don't. I have no idea who a lot of them are. So anyway, uh, we went down. I had the rally that night before we went to the elevator, and I told everybody, I said, said I want everybody here to know that we're going to go down there. I said, I expect the law enforcement officers who all is there to be treated with nothing but respect. I'm telling you law enforcement officers that here, if anybody gets out of control, if anybody mistreats us or physically or whatever, they're not part of our bunch, and you can do with them whatever you want to do, and I want everybody there to understand. So then the next morning, you have a convoy, in a sense, that's headed out there, and the marshals are, are obviously waiting for you there because they're going to read a court order to you, correct? That's exactly right, and when we got to the elevator, we pulled up because I'd set a deadline at 10 o'clock, and I was going to wait till 10 o'clock because we had people Washington, working in Washington, D.C., hoping we could get this resolved. And I was given a 10 o'clock, and at any time, they had phone communications set up that if we could get this resolved or a hope of getting it resolved, I would stop right where I was at then. Well, when 10 o'clock came, we had that line of trucks. Sandy and I and the kids were sitting in the front seat, and we had a line of federal marshals lined up there, and then we had uh, FBI agents behind them and sheriff, de- you know, the whole works. And uh, so at 10 o'clock, I got out of the truck and I walked up to the federal marshals. And I had a paper that a lawyer had called me and said I was under uh, common law and not whatever the law was. And their court order had no weight against me, you know, and I just stuck it in my pocket. Well, when I got out, I walked up. Bob Harr was the top federal marshal in the United States. And so when Bob Harr, when I walked up to him, he read me a court order that prevented me from coming in and removing my grain at penalty at law and everything else. Well, while he was reading that, I thought about this note that I'd wrote on a napkin, and I said, well, uh, you're, I'm under common law and all of this, and your court order has no weight against me. You know, I mean, I, I didn't know if it's worth a flip. But anyway, he handed me the court order, and I handed him a neck, and, and we shook hands. And I went down the line, and I shook hands with every one of them. And I uh, went back and got in the truck, and <laughs> you can't imagine what was going through my mind at that time. Farmers was all gathered around. The truck in the back was loaded with farmers and everything. And I knew that when I put that truck in gear and started towards those federal marshals that, you know, they could determine that was a deadly weapon. And if they pulled their weapons and shot me, you know, I mean, they were within their rights to do that. I understood that. So I started the truck up and I started towards those federal marshals. And I can't even tell you what my feelings was. You know, I mean, terror, I mean, scared, I mean, I'd. And just as I got to those federal marshals, they just parted out of the way like that, and the FBI, they parted, and that's when I pulled in on uh, on the scales. And uh, You just can't imagine what was going through our minds, you know. But anyway, when I pulled in on the scales, that's when Glenn Young walked up to the side of the truck, and I rolled the window down. He introduced he. He was in the press conferences and at the Highway Patrol headquarters, but they had never introduced them. The highway patrol said, you know, you've got federal marshals here, and there's the FBI, 
and they were writing the whole time I was doing this. And so anyway, I, Glenn Young said, Mr. Kreitz, we're the FBI and all that. We're taking over jurisdiction now. And would you meet with us in one of the back offices here? And that's when I'm, uh, they took over control literally from the federal marshals at that point. So when that happened then, did you at 10 a.m. And you, and you roll through that line, do you immediately begin taking the grain out and loading those trucks at, at that point? Well, no. I went in and I talked to the, the FBI agent, and they said, uh, Wayne, uh, what are you going to do from this point? And I said, well, I've got a weigh-in crew here. And I brought them in and introduced them to the FBI, and they showed them how we would uh, measure the grain, how we'd oil, because I brought in so many bushels of grain, but also brought in so many bushels of or pounds of foreign material. And I wanted, you know, and they were going to probe the loads, and I was going to leave 300 bushel in. There was three different bins of my grain in case the scales were off. I didn't want to take a bushel over. So at that point, I uh, weighed my truck empty, pulled it out. We removed uh, metal from the elevators. We had vacuators, elevators. I mean, we had everything we needed. If they shut the electricity off, we were still going to be able to load that grain out physically. And uh, also, I anticipated that they may do this, and if they blocked us any other way, I was going to form a bucket brigade and bucket them, <laughs> whatever it took to get my grain out of that elevator. And from the time we started loading my truck, the rest of the time I spent basically in the office with the FBI and the federal authorities. Finally, Glenn Young come in. He'd been on the phone a lot. He'd come in, he sat down on the desk, and I was sitting in the chair here. And he looked at me and he said, Wayne, he said, you've gone as far as you're going to go. They said, our orders have come down to stop you. And they said, Wayne, you, we don't have a choice. And you're responsible. If anybody's hurt or killed or whatever, you've got to live with that. And you, you'll you be responsible for it. Do you understand that? And I said, well, yes, I do. And, well, I'd been under so much strain for so long, for weeks, months, you know, fighting this battle. And I just felt myself getting ready to come apart and... I found out, I said, Glenn, I said, would you just go out and leave me alone just a little bit and let me try to figure out what I was going to do. And I, and I don't know why it, it, it's come to. I decided to try one more thing. So I knocked on the door and Glenn come in and he actually put his arm around me and he said, Wayne, are you all right? And I, I said, yeah, Glenn, I'm all right. He said, well, Wayne, we got to have your answer. He said, well, what are you going to do? And then he was standing up there at the wall. And I said, Glenn, have you ever watched the show Duke's a hazard. <laughs> and he sat there a little bit. He, he could imagine all those trucks lined up out there and all of them loaded and, uh, you know, just everything. And all of them trucks tore out of there and just pandemonium. And he finally just took his fist and he hit that desk and he said, he said, I've got to call Washington, D.C. again. You know, I don't know who he's calling. Because no trucks had left at this no, point? No, okay, no, they, were they, all were all, they were all lined up. So anyway, he'd come back out, and him and some of the other agents, they were standing along the wall there, and I was still sitting in the chair, and he looked down at me, and he said, Wayne, he said, i got to know. He said, is that your final answer? Oh, Andrew, I come so close to giving up right there. I come so close, and finally I, I, I decided what I was going to personally do. And... Uh, what I was going to do was go out and tell everybody that I, I appreciate them. They went way beyond, but I didn't want anybody hurt or injured. But I aimed to take one 
load of grain out of here. And what I'd aim to do was get in the truck, put it in Granny Low. And if they pull vehicles in front of me, I was going to go as far as I could go. And if they blocked me and stopped my truck, you know, I'd done all I could do. But I finally, I looked up at Glenn and I said, yeah, Glenn, that's my final decision. He disagreed. He said, all right. He said, Jens are free to leave. He said, there'll be no arrest made today. Walked outside, getting ready to get in my truck, and there was uh, Jesse Deardorff had his truck there. Jesse Deardorff was a deacon of the church when I was a kid. He was my Sunday school teacher. Jesse had never been involved in anything, but here he got caught. And I thought, crying out loud, I said, they have no idea how much trouble they're in. You know, because I knew this federal judge, and, you know, I'd been involved enough to know that, hey, this is. I turned around and went right back in the office, and Glenn and all of them were still in there. And I said, Glenn, I need an agreement with you. <laughs> what do you need? I said, I need an agreement when this caravan of trucks leaves. You draw a line. Anybody that crosses that line, you do with them whatever you have to do. Later on. I said, anybody that doesn't cross that line, you forget they've ever been here. And this took quite a while to get this agreement worked out. And I brought in Notary Public. They signed it, and I signed it. But what it said was that when this caravan of trucks left, they draw a line. Anybody that crossed that line, they had to give it out, give their name to the FBI, and have their picture taken. Anybody that didn't cross that line, they would forget that it was there. Because I want to give everybody another chance to get now that. So we had 78 trucks loaded with grain and a wheelbar. guy from Oklahoma didn't have a truck, and he wanted to be there and participate. So he throwed an old wheelbar in the back of one of the trucks coming from Oklahoma, and he had it up there. So uh, later on, Glenn told me that this is the first time in the history of this country that he knew of a people were granted amnesty while the crime was being permitted, you know. So anyway, and I thought that was interesting. So anyway, we all loaded up, and we got in the trucks, and uh, that's the only point that we had a harsh word spoken during this whole episode. There was a woman that wanted to drive one of the trucks out, and her husband wouldn't let her, and she literally opened the door and drug him out, got in, locked the doors, and wouldn't let him in, and she drove that truck out of there. So anyway, we took it to Bernie. It'd take hours to tell what happened there. But I had an agreement made that I could unload the grain there, you know, and they'd sell it. But when we got there, the judge had put out a court order. Anybody that accepts any of this grain will be considered. And so that really put me in a, in a bind. They got the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals together at about 9 o'clock at night the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Louis overruled Judge Baker and ordered them to take this grain. So that's how I unloaded the grain. So 77 truckloads of grain is deposited at MFA in Burley? Yeah. Okay. So I've got and a wheelbar. So I've got a deposit <laughs> there, and I was, I'm waiting for that. And uh, then they call me from Ristine, and Jay now did. And as the time got close, people got the pressure built. The rest of the farmers, they decided that, they didn't want to face, you know, going to jail or prison. Over the other farmers that had grain there. So yeah, they backed off. They were there and helped me, and I think their thought was if I could get my grain out of there, then they'd have to release theirs. But anyway, they were there, and so that that part of it. So I left it there. Well, then NJ now called me and said, Wayne, they're getting ready to come tomorrow and load up our grain. He said, 
would you be willing to come back and help us stop them? And I said, sure, in jail, yeah, I will. So I took my son and, the, and everything, and Terry was 12-year-old at the time. Well, anyway, NJ now pulled his Suburban this way. I pulled my truck this way to block the elevator again to keep the truck from Bear House coming up and loading out the grain. So anyway, and I did, when I got out, I raised the hood of the truck, you know, like my truck had took out all. Well, some of the reporters come over and said, Mr. Christ, said, what's going on? I said, my truck took out on me. What's wrong with it? And I, I said, it's got a bent dipstick. And that's just, you know, just <laughs> off the top of my head, you know. Well, that night, a reporter for the uh, uh, Memphis uh, Harold called me. He said, Wayne, what in the world? Because I'd met him before at some of these hearing areas. I just told him, you know, what was going on. He said, Wayne, do you know what they're saying down here and radio and news and everything? I said, I have no idea. He said, well, they're saying Judge Baker's efforts to move the Ristine grain today was thwarted by a bent dipstick. Well, <laughs> you can about imagine what this judge is doing. <laughs> I mean, you know, they say when you're digging a hole, the best way to stop it is to quit digging a hole. Well, I, I mean, I got a back hole. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we uh, stopped them, uh, the trucks, uh, the FBI, the federal marshals was back in charge of the elevator. So anyway, the rest of the farmers, they made an agreement. If they would drop the charges against them, they would give up and quit the fight. So when they dropped the charges against them, uh, they dropped uh, the other charges against me at that point. And then did they go ahead and haul that grain out of the Ristine elevator? And haul the grain out of the Ristine elevator. Now, I know, of course, we've got to talk about your story yet, but what happened to those farmers then? Did they get pennies on the dollar for that grain? What did they get? Yeah, they got just. But see, what the court tells you is that they got 100% of their money. All right, this grain money goes into a pool. They start milking it dry. All right, when it gets down to a small amount of money, they finally have determination of ownership. Now, there may not be 5% of the grain left or the assets left, but then the farmers get 100% of what's left. So that's when you hear a lot of these deals that the farmers got all their money. No, they got all that was left of the money. So anyway, Mr. Uh, Beeson, uh, it, it just took the heart out of him. He quit. Uh, I think NJ now, I think, rented his land out after that. But meanwhile, for you, your grain is at MFA and Bernie, and you're trying to get paid for it because you've got loans coming up. You need the money. I got loans and everything else. And the judge had ordered all the grain sold at Ristine, the other, including the grain that I had put in the Ristine elevator. Well, I didn't think I could go back to the pressure of removing that grain again. So I went to the local sheriff, and I said, Sheriff, I said, uh, a certain day, I said, uh, there's going to be some people at the MFA elevator uh, stealing my grain. And this includes federal marshals and everybody else. And I said, I want you to arrest them. Oh, no, Wayne, I can't arrest them federal marshals. I said, hey, I said, it's my grain. You're the chief law enforcement officer here, and, and I expect you to protect my right, Wayne. He lived at Dexter, and he said, 
come go with me. So we went up to the Bloomfield Jail, and he got his law books down, and he's looking through them, and he said, oh, statue so-and-so and so In the state of Missouri, you are allowed as a citizen, if you see what you think is a felony being committed, you can arrest them, take them to jail, and they can hold them for so long. So he said, Wayne, i tell you what, as a citizen, you can arrest them. If you get them up here to jail, I'll put them in jail and hold them. So my big idea was to arrest the federal marshals <laughs> and anybody of the truck drivers, anybody I get and load them up and take them to jail. That's where we have to end our story for this edition of the show. We will have the conclusion next time. It's quite a story, one that 40 years later still captivates us. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com and you can get more information by following Farming the Countryside on Facebook. You can also follow our daily features, American Countryside, on many local radio stations. And we're also at AmericanCountryside.com and American Countryside on Facebook as well. And don't forget, we're posting ideas for revitalizing rural and agricultural America at TotalTownMakeover.com. If you go under the Resources tab there, you'll find many of our TV, radio, and podcast features that will give you ideas for where you live. I appreciate you listening, and remember, the rest of Wayne Kreitz's story is on the next edition of this show. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.